imagine, you know, 2015, we're losing money three months in a row and you're thinking to yourself, you know, those times try you very, very hard. You know, this is, this is where you're looking at your numbers and your business and you're saying, this is a problem. Last year, our revenue went from around 20, 30K a month to like 70, 80K on average, but it's been all by email marketing. This is Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to apply at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now on to today's episode. Today, listeners, we are welcoming an alumni of the Entrepreneur House and co-founder of IHS to the show, Freddie Lansky. Today, Freddie and I talk about a variety of subjects from YouTube to living in Mexico City, but the highlights for me on this show were two things. First, Freddie's business created $750,000 in revenue in 2016, doubling from 2015, and he talks about his email marketing strategy that has created the majority of this change. The second was how his business was a disaster behind the scenes while him, his partner, and their team were hustling away to make sure not so long ago they could keep the business afloat. Today they're doing much better, but Freddie talks about a low point in their business where they were questioning everything they were doing and if it was wise to continue forward with IHS. What was really refreshing about this podcast is that Freddie was an open book and open to share his highs and lows and the reality of being an entrepreneur. Freddie shared his numbers and what was happening behind the scenes with his business, and I'm really glad we got him on the show. If you take the time to listen to this podcast, I think any entrepreneur would really appreciate this episode and the takeaways we can learn from Freddie. And with that, let me welcome Freddie Lansky to the show. How you doing, Freddie? Good, good, Chris. How are you? Good. Where are you reporting from today? Um, I am in Mexico City. actually just signed a 12-month lease this week for the first time in six years. Last time I signed a 12-month lease was in um, 2010, late 2010, early 2011. So you're really, um, you're, so. You're really digging Mexico, huh? Yeah, well, you know, um, it's, it wasn't really so much of a like romantic falling in love with the culture. Even though I do like the culture here, it was more of a, a practical thing. Business was growing too much, been traveling too long. My business partner quit his corporate job, and I was just getting tired of moving everywhere mm-hmm. every three months uh, for personal reasons too. Just having to kind of build a new social circle every couple months, and you know, tired of living on Airbnb, wanting to. Sign a lease, and, and then for business reasons too. I I'm just we're getting too big, or just maybe frankly just not good at managing a remote team. So I want to give the in-person team and getting people on salary a shot, and see if that's not going to help to to growth hack our business and and further achieve our goals. How's the the internet doing in Mexico these days? Uh, the internet in Mexico is pretty much the same as the states. Um, you can get. I have a co-working space. I pay 140 bucks a month. It has 100 megs up and 100 megs down. And then to the home, you can easily get 25 megs. You know, five to 10 is the normal. The internet here, I think, is much faster than it is um, in places like you know Brazil, Argentina, and Chile. I just think the farther you get from the states, which is the backbone of the internet, um, the the slower it gets. So, um, internet isn't a problem at all anywhere in Mexico. And how would you rate the quality of living in Mexico these days? Because I know there's still a lot of fear amongst the cartels and some things about Mexico being a third world country. So what would you compare it to? What countries? No, I mean, it's never really felt that unsafe to me in the neighborhoods of Mexico City where people 
was kind of like the entrepreneur and digital nomad scene, which would be the neighborhoods of like La Roma, Condesa, Polanco. They're very, very safe. Mm -hmm. um, there's definitely places in Mexico that are a no-go, but it's less about the country and it's more about the, the location. So, you know, like the Yucatan Peninsula where Cancun is and everything, pretty safe, uh, despite that recent freak shooting. It's still statistically <laughs> very, very safe. Mexico City safe, you know, and, and some of the resorts, the Pacific side. And then the, the problem areas are near the, the border, you know, and that's what kind of Americans, I guess, imagine Mexico is like. But, you know, I think for any middle class person in Mexico City, whatever is going on in those crazy border regions is about as foreign to them as it is for someone in the States. It's it's like being worried about, you know, crime in, you know, I don't know, inner city Chicago when, when you live in you know, somewhere in coastal Florida, it's like you're not even thinking thinking about it. But, you know, it's like any Latin country. You got to watch your wits. Um, you got to be careful. But, you know, I can tell you, well, you're very familiar with Brazil. Um, you know how, how much love I have for Brazil. But one thing that I just feel different about Brazil versus Mexico is in Brazil and a lot of places, I feel like I always have to watch my back. Like I can't really bust out my iPhone unless I'm somewhere secure or something like that. Everybody feels that way. You know, I don't really see that in Mexico. Like, people here work out on their laptops. There doesn't seem to feel this sense of insecurity that you feel in some other Latin countries, specific in the neighborhoods and the places that I hang out with, not everywhere in Mexico. But I don't, I don't mind it being that way. I really don't want Mexico City to be overrun with foreigners like Bangkok or something. I kind of enjoy it the way it is where there's, there's some foreigners to hang out with, but it's not, you know, overrun to the point that it's annoying the locals. Yeah, it's ma it's amazing the fear that comes up, you know, from uh, the media when people hear about Mexico and violence and, and the cartels in Mexico, where a lot of people in the States, I don't think, realize that the rest of the world is seeing that point of view about America because of the gun violence and, and the shootings and terrorist attacks that we have in, in the States. And we're like, oh, we don't want to go to Mexico because it's not safe down there. There's cartels where the rest of the world's like, eh, I'm kind of insecure about going to America now because you guys have a lot of crap going on there. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to stop living my life because of years of crime. You know, I'm obviously not going to go to a place that's like a friggin' war zone, like, I don't know, Venezuela or Syria or anything. But, yeah. you know, I mean, look, anywhere in Latin America, it's you're trading. You know, if you're so paranoid about security and afraid, you know, you're going to get, you know, just nabbed in the middle of the night, then just go to Southeast Asia where that'll nev almost never happen to you. Maybe you get scammed a little bit, but that kind of shit doesn't really happen to you where... You know, here in Argentina, Brazil, whatever, you know, there's crimes, you have to watch yourself and you have to deal with the fact that there's a possibility that, you know, maybe you're going to be sitting in, in an Uber one day and send some motorcycles and a pull a gun and grab your, your wallet. It's never happened to me. I've had mm -hmm. some kind of weird incidents, you know, sometimes in Brazil, like home invasions or pickpocketing and things like that. But violent stuff, you know, very, very rare. Obviously, I can't speak if you're, you know kind of a very European looking guy or if you're a girl it would be a different experience. You know, one thing I should mention on the on the podcast is that, you know, I look very Latino too. You know, I'm kind of like a short white guy, long hair, you know, I, I don't I don't really stick out in any Latin country the way some people might. So people, you know, your mileage may, may vary down here, but I don't feel unsafe at all. So, you know, I, I really do think it's a pity that 
it, when Americans do come down here that nobody, everybody skips the interior. There's like a really a lot of cool stuff to see, like these ancient colonial cities like Guanajuato and San Miguel and like the cultural stuff with the Mayans and, and the southern end of Mexico and Chiapas and San Cristobal. Like it's, it's very safe and it's very nice and it gives you another side of Mexico and it's, you know, one hour flight from Texas and people just don't visit. So on one hand, you know, it's, it's sad. Uh, but on the other hand, I'm, I'm glad it's not too overrun with, with gringos everywhere just yet. I think, um, you might enroll some gringos or at least some digital nomads to come visit. Yeah. After hearing all the good things. About I've been, I'm, uh, I've been the evangelist, you know, more showing up here. It's a, a little, a little hub. I think it's going to start to form here for sure because people are, are starting to kind of spread the word to other people like, oh, Mexico City. Every every time I hear people come here, it's always the same thing like, oh, it's not what I expected at all. I thought it was going to be like this kind of crime-ridden war zone and it's actually like this calm like city with lot like tree-lined streets and lots of – it's very hipster. There's a lot of hipsters around everywhere, really? craft breweries. Yeah, wow. it's, it's nothing the way you would, would imagine it. Like my area here, La Roma – Mm-hmm. was built up in the 1920s and then it was kind of decayed for a while in the 60s 70s 80s and then the late 90s it became very gentrified again and now it's one of the more exclusive areas to live in but it's got all these old buildings and, and these tree line like lots of trees everywhere and it feels a little bit like buenos aires just a little bit around that's surprising because i think so that's kind of the vibe here I think I think most people perceive Mexico City now as Medellin, Colombia in like the late 1980s and 1990s, but that sounds like it's nothing at all like that. Nothing at all like that. Like narcos? Yeah. What? <laughs> Not even what? Well, let's let's talk business. That was great learning about Mexico. So you're running iChess for the past 6 years and you guys have been doing pretty well for yourselves, especially in the past 3 years or so. And let's talk about how you got into starting up iChess and building it into what it is today. Yeah, I mean, it was sort of an accident, really. Um, You know, we didn't find our tribe. The tribe, you know, found us. My business partner was already teaching online, finding, he's a chess master, finding clients through Craigslist and word of mouth. Mm -hmm. And I solicited him to make a YouTube channel, website, uh, just kind of a brand, you know, to sell his, his classes. And that's how we started, and we got a couple teachers. And, and his at the time, there wasn't quite – the YouTube chess uh, market was not so crowded with so many different channels. So for him, being a high-rated chess master, especially that didn't have like a European accent with an American accent, mm-hmm. uh, definitely left a splash. So we started picking up steam pretty quick. Um, and it was through the YouTube channel that uh, eventually we started um, – selling other people's products you know just the same videos we were advertising what year was this freddie it was 2011 okay 2011 2012 um we started actually selling the videos we call them courses now because they include a lot of other stuff but the the core uh, product or the core offering in the product is the video which is a chessboard and a webcam right they're just going over uh you know different moves and lines etc and uh, yeah, once we, we kind of switched the products, they way overtook the classes, and that's pretty much been our business model since then. I mean, there's we work with other companies and sell their products, and then a lot of other companies sell our products too. So our business is twofold. One is just the e-commerce site, which is kind of what's been suffering the last two years, and the other one is us as you could consider us like a record label for chess. 
So we find, you know, top talent will fly out and we'll record with them. They'll finish recording, you know, the stuff on their own. And then we send it to a video editor um, and chess players who write up relevant, you know, puzzles and and, um, chapter summaries and and, uh, notes for the games and things like that. And we package them up as courses. And we've gotten very good at, at producing these very, very quickly, much faster than our competitors at a higher quality and lower budget. So that's our competitive advantage. And other people have been selling our products, much bigger companies. So that's been helping us a lot. But our weak point, or what's especially been our weak point in the last two years, is just our e-commerce site and pushing development projects forward. So neither me and my business partner are a developer. Mm-hmm. So it makes it, it makes it very hard sometimes to get a good team. So what we're hope, part of what I'm hoping with in moving to Mexico City is I can find one or two developers I can work with in person that I can build some trust with and, and see if that helps versus trying to manage these projects remotely. So starting off, you met your business partner by soliciting him. Did you cold solicit him? You just reach out and say, hey. Uh, no, no, no. We've been friends since high school. I uh, mean, well, we went to the same high school together and we became better friends towards the end of college. Gotcha. And uh, yeah, he was already teaching online. And it was supposed to be a little quick side business. Like I would get a little percentage, whatever. I was involved in other stuff too. I tried working for another entrepreneur doing a uh, this website that's like the Grubhub for Buenos Aires, Buenos Aires Delivery, and um, then I got involved in some other different companies. But you know, the chess thing just kept growing to the point where around 2013, I just gave up uh, everything else. I was like a tour guide in Brazil and and doing like the IT for this tour company in Brazil that did rides uh, from Rio de Janeiro all the way up to Salvador in like mm-hmm. a big van slash bus uh, with like stops along the way. It was tons of fun. I mean, drop that, drop some other stuff. And, um, yeah, so it was really, you know, all, all kind of accidental. We just, we didn't have like a three, five year growth plan. We just thought it'd be a little side business that kind of took over. And so do you consider yourself a chess fanatic? No, not at all. So that's kind of cool, but he's the chess pro and you're the tech pro, right? That's kind of how we started, but really now we're both, you know, sales, marketing, and management, hiring, and kind of co-CEOing it together. Okay. You know, I'm not editing videos anymore. He's not, you know, writing chess puzzles anymore. All that stuff's been long uh, outsourced. Very cool. I'd like to talk about your partnership first because we've been addressing a lot of this. Some people have come onto the show and they swear about partnerships and some people uh, say swear they would never do a partnership. So how would you and your partner, how do you guys keep balance? We don't typically have a lot of the same problems I, th- I see in a lot of uh, you know partnerships. So mm-hmm. I think we, we communicate uh, pretty well. You know, recently there, I wouldn't say it's much as friction. You know, no one's really angry at each other. We have realized we overlap in a lot of categories and we're also weak in somewhat similar categories mm-hmm. like i'm not so great at management he's okay you know i know a little bit about it like i'm sort of it oriented maybe a little bit with graphic design enough to make a base some basic calls and you know he's not but really i think both of our strong suits are our sales and marketing so that's why we're hoping here maybe in person we can you know work on our weak spots which is probably project management Mm -hmm. and development and especially project management of development (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah you know i mean we talk on the phone every day um communicate um we don't like if there's something bugging us we'll just go out and say it and and just you know get it get it out in the end of the air versus you know holding it in so that helps a lot too 
Now, I know your personality pretty well. You have a strong personality. Is he more of a, st- uh, a strong personality? Is He's he even stronger. Passion? He like he like he like dominates me. He's the strongest personality I know, and I'm pretty strong personality, but he's. He's pretty up there. <laughs> okay, but it's it's good, man. He he uh, he's the boss, man, for sure. Even though we're technically fifty fifty, he's man in the ship. Yeah. That's cool, man. <laughs> I'm Very okay cool. with that. Hey, if it works, it works, right? Yeah. So when we met, you came to the house in 2015 in Barcelona, and you were going so, through some pretty big challenges with your business. Behind the scenes, you you had some major challenges that were happening, and so. Let's talk about that, man. Like, how did you work your way through that into creating, you know, doubling your business from 2015 to 2016? Well, I think back then, a lot more of our revenue was coming in from just organic sales and just on-site sales. And we let a developer redesign the website. And then since then, you know, we've, we've had just a plummet in conversion for... I think two reasons. The first one was the back end wasn't working at all either. Like it was buggy as hell, right? And this was after two weeks of downtime. My my website was in shambles. I think there was ten days our website was completely down. Ten days. Okay. And then when it finally went up with the new site, it was like barely working for weeks after that. Uh-huh. And then we continue to have major back end bugs. I'm talking about stuff like people not being to check out, like th- th- those kinds of like bugs that'll just kill your business right. until that was kind of stabilized in January, February with different developers that really came and gone for a few months. Uh, they didn't work out obviously, but uh, they all did some kind of positive impact at least, even if the ROI wasn't great. We got the back end relatively steady, but the design of the actual site and the UI UX is still really, really bad in it. And for the amount of products we have, there's no easy way to search them. Right. The last site was ugly, but it was very clear. It wasn't even that ugly. It was just plain. It looked kind of outdated, you know, because, you know, the blot that the, the layout was designed in maybe 2008, 2009, and we're still using it in 2015, you know, it kind of looked old school, mm-hmm. but it, it worked, right? And this new one didn't work. We should have gone back to it. We ended up not, we're just saying, like, screw it, let's just push forward. And yeah, it's still, it's, it's, stable on a back-end perspective but the the design is still messed up so we need to redo the entire front but the, getting back to how our business has grown drastically since then um we did stabilize the site uh, we fixed our one-step checkout that we use for jv deals so we we've had a lot of jv deals with much larger businesses businesses our size and smaller businesses as well so all all of our messed up traffic and SEO and all our problems, all this other stuff is being covered up by both email marketing, which we've been just, you know, just running tons of cold traffic to sales pages, picking up emails left and right, and then hitting our email list nonstop with offers, which we obviously need to segment. Uh, but, you know, right now it's just kind of hitting everybody over the head was wired open rate is probably only hovering around 15%, but um, the email list is still growing. And then on top of that, you have lots of other businesses, you know, sending us traffic to our one-step checkout on a split. And on top of that, we're also producing course, brand new courses nonstop. But one thing you'll realize is like you look at companies like Apple, you know, they don't need marketing if you have the product is good. Right. So we're, we're making really good courses by really high presenters with very good quality video editing, good extras, and, and putting that little extra Midas touch on them. Mm-hmm. So that's causing attention for chess players. So all chess players in general are bad at, at marketing, like all the other companies and stuff. So the marketing's not, 
as important as the product. So even though we have all this stuff that's broken in our funnel, when we release a new product by a well-known grandmaster, the word will carry itself. So that's that's how we've been. That's that's really the driver of our revenue growth right now, and that's how we know that even if our website stays stays exactly where it is and everything remains static and our open rates continue where they are, and we're not segmenting our funnel, and we focus just on courses. Just based on that alone, I think we have a good chance of at least hitting a million this year. So that's why we're going to Europe to rush it through um, and to record some of the in-person stuff. So we, re- we realize flying people flying out or flying people out is a lot more efficient and faster and getting people to do stuff on their own. Plus it puts pressure on them when they know you're coming in town. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where we are right now. We're hoping to use that money from all these launches to actually build out like a crazy funnel that we can just blow up v- via PPC, which is, I guess, everybody's goal. But, you know, right now the, the hardest part is, you know, technical implementation of all this stuff. Like our SEO is bad. Our UI UX is bad. Um, you know, we we get conversion from email, but we're depending way too much on it. Like, if we don't send an e-blast, our revenue drops from like let's say four or five thousand dollars that day to like three, three hundred or five hundred or something. It's drastic. Like, mm. it keeps going up and up and up and up. Like, you know, this is this is where you're looking at your numbers in your business and you're saying this is a problem when it went from like, oh, cool, email marketing's getting us an extra fifty percent, and then it's like. Our website continues to wither while our email list goes up, and now we're making 85-90% of our revenue on email mm-hmm. or from other people's lists. Is I think it's a dangerous game. You know, that's like when people are depending too much on just one uh, one source. And I just think we could do it better than just hitting everybody. You know, right now we're hitting if someone joins our list or someone's our best customer, they're getting the exact same offers. So. You know that's what we're hoping to do here, and hire people that are smarter than me to do all this stuff, because there's not a good chance I'm going to learn development and SEO and good UI UX design and all this stuff at this point. You know, I'm I'm maxed out. Whatever I learned, I I learned at this point. I mean, I'll keep reading when I can about management and hiring and finding the best people, but at this point, I think it's it's a better. Uh, better idea to find people that are better to fix all this stuff than completely learn how to do it myself. So this year you're, you're flying out to actually video. Do you create partnerships with the grandmasters and video them and then create a product out of that? Yeah, we used to just pay them flat. Now we work with much higher end people that refuse to, to um, you know, do anything other than royalties. I mean, some of the people we're working with might get Ten or twenty thousand dollars just for playing at a chess tournament. They don't even need to win, just for showing up. Wow! So we have we have we can't just say like, hey, we'll write you a five thousand dollar check. Like they want royalties too. Right. But it's great though because if we sell a product and it does forty fifty thousand dollars, so say we give them you know five thousand dollars up front and twenty five percent, they'll be thrilled. They get another fifteen thousand dollars, whatever, and we keep you know thirty thirty five, and then you know we continue on the majority of the rights forever, but. At first, we were kind of against royalties. Now we've kind of warmed up to it. It seems like people do a much better job when royalties are involved, and it makes all these different grandmasters become evangelists of our brand on their <laughs> Facebook and Twitter. Whereas then they, we pay them flat rate; they don't care. They do a sloppier job, and they don't promote it. And that's a huge street credit for you to to get to work with them. And for those that don't know, a grandmaster is the best of the best in the chess world, right? Yeah. What do you have to do to become a grandmaster, Freddie? 
you have to first become an international master and then you have to do these things called norms where it's like if you play in a tournament you have to perform over you have to like perform really really good like you just wiped a bunch of grandmasters off the map on like a major tournament you have to do that three times and it's extremely difficult i think maybe six seven thousand people in total have have done it maybe less i don't know four or five a couple thousand let's say and uh, the people we work with are the top grandmasters, so they're they're like the top, let's say, 200 or 300 players on Earth uh, right now. We worked with you know like the best player in Spain, who I think is like number 31, and uh, the best player from Vietnam, who I think is number 33. So it's a little different than the the guy who's you know number 850, who's more than well qualified enough to teach. But we're we're trying to work with really really big names because of their celebrity status within the chess community. Will help with sales. I noticed that you guys started diving into the Spanish speaking market because you worked with a grandmaster from Spain. Is that the reason? Oh uh, no, we just we always did English and Spanish. Um, okay. The Spanish site had you know a couple good years, like in 2011, 2012. It wasn't making any money. It got a lot of good momentum in 2013, 2014 until like the oil price crashed and then all the Latin currencies lost like 70, 80% of their value against the dollar. And then we've kind of been on the struggle bus on Spanish. Like the, we, we've been ha really having trouble making more than a few hundred dollars a day on it. Mm. Um, which I know for some listeners would be like, man, I <laughs> love to make a few hundred dollars a day. For my business, it's like statistical noise compared to the English site. You know, it's yeah. like almost as much as you do it went from like 20,000 a month to like three four thousand it's really disappointing but we're hanging in for the long play i think the currencies will eventually bounce back the dollar will go back to some normal level be it in one year two years or, or four we're, we want to expand into french and german but that's been in a development hell for so long especially since i don't speak french or german i speak spanish but not those languages so it's been kind of, no one on our team does, so everyone's kind of demotivated about it. Um, but we're noticing tons of potential there. Like Germany has the highest conversion rate for our English products, so moving into the German market was an obvious. Well, you know, you you know, everybody there speaks English, but they prefer to have uh, chess videos in in their own native language, obviously. So, and then France has a lot of potential too, because the euro. Despite you know not being as strong as it was two three years ago, it's, it's still competitive against the dollar. People can in France can afford our products, whereas people in Mexico and Argentina kind of struggle a little bit. So in our Spanish, obviously Spain is number one, Argentina is number two. It's responsible for 15 20 percent of our sales. No, we get a little bit from from everywhere, but uh, I think long term it's it's a good play. You know, if if things bounce back again, we could be looking at you know, huge profit uh, potential. So right now it's kind of in a holding pattern. We haven't really made any new DVDs or invested money in it. We just keep the sales schedule and the YouTube channels running, you know, and hopefully, you know, so sometimes there are some factors outside of your uh, control. I'm sure you guys have talked about this, but have you considered diving into the Mandarin slash Chinese market? eventually someday at some point you know everybody just tells me if you did it in chinese people would immediately steal it and nobody would pay for it uh, so that's basically what's happened in spanish too mm. you know in english um there's piracy but people still pay in spanish nobody pays like very few people so mm. it's uh yeah i mean pir piracy is an issue and uh i don't know we're gonna start with with uh german and french yeah. And we're going to move into Portuguese as well um, a little bit after that, hopefully by the end of this year. Yeah. 
I would like to move into Chinese, um, but I don't know anything about it, and I don't want to stick to what you know. Yeah, good point. Let's talk email marketing, man. It, it seems like that has been one of the biggest factors for you guys doubling your revenue and from 2015 to 2016. And so what would you say that you learned and applied during that time for email marketing that really had the biggest impact? Okay, so I'm going to give you an honest answer here, but I'm going to put a caveat that I don't recommend you do this for your business. Okay. Um, we got addicted to the sales. And so, you know, we was like one sale every two or three months and then once a month. And then it eventually became where our sales schedule is back to back to back. So every five, seven days we have another offer um, and it never stops. It's, sometimes it stops for a day or two, like yesterday, but 90% of the time there's, there's a sale running with a timer and, uh, you know, we can do it because we have so many different products. We have hundred, actually probably at this point, maybe over a thousand products in English and maybe a third of that in Spanish. So we have so many different bundles. We can run one thing and then run another thing the next week and another thing the next week and never hit the same thing again more than once every six months. So it doesn't devalue the product too much because they know they can get it at 50%, but they might have to wait a really long time. So they'll either have to wait or they just buy it. Um, it's not like, you know, if you had a SaaS app and you, that's your one product and you marked it at 60% off, that would be suicide for your business mm -hmm. because then no one's ever going to pay full price again. But my business is different because we sell products. So um, problem is people get addicted to it and then no one ever buys stuff on your uh, shopping cart anymore because everybody's just say, oh, well, would any product over $50 sooner or later they're going to put it on sale. And that's probably one of the reasons beyond our design that people stop buying on our shop. Um, but you know, like many companies, we're kind of stuck here now because if we stop, if we stop running the sales, our revenue is going to go from 70, 80 K a month to like 20 K. <laughs> so what would you do? <laughs> How do you get out of here? The best, the best I can think of is to keep using that money to invest in fixing up our sites and finding other revenue streams mm -hmm. and then eventually slowly but surely back down and ease out of it. Um, but it's like a, an addiction, you know, you can't just, you need a rehab. <laughs> so if, if there's another company out there that has as many products as you, would you recommend them not doing as many sales as you guys do too? I reckon them not do as many sales uh -huh. and they put maybe the discount a little bit closer to what the actual price is. Because right now we just – our entire strategy is based on marking products a little bit high. Okay, who am I kidding? A lot higher than they should be right. and then marking them at 50 60% off. And then when we have – we either do it for old products, other people's products, but the most effective are for new launches. So that's when we realize, hey, we're making more money just running sales nonstop. But what – you know, we obviously notice – this is probably applicable to most industries. New products way outperform old products, even if the old products are better. You know, when there's something new in our industry, everybody notices. So like, oh, damn, it's brand new. I got to get it. Um, and so that's when we do a launch. So we're at the point where we're saying, well, instead of doing a launch once every three months, why don't we just do like three launches a month, right? So we're putting a lot of pressure on our team. We have our Master Method series, which is the, the Primo one where we're recording in person and doing all these little extra touches. Mm -hmm. And then we have uh, two other grandmasters who are producing you know, one 15-hour course a month, which are from a diff different series and more simply edited but still high quality. So we're doing three or four launches a month. And then you know, launch days or days of new products are double or triple the revenue of 
launching old stuff. So if we can do that nonstop, you know, that combined with getting more people to run our products on other people's lists, it will be the easiest way to grow hack because maybe we'll finally succeed in fixing our SEO and fixing our site and fixing our funnels and all that stuff. But I don't want to maybe for growth. I know what we will definitely succeed at, and that's at continuing to do these launches. And yeah. that's and that's Go ahead. Yeah, and that's just our, our guaranteed way. So that's kind of high level strategy. And you how many are all your products digital, Freddie? Pretty much. Um, we have a small warehouse that we're trying to get rid of our stock uh-huh. as fast as possible, kind of for some tax reasons and also we're paying $100 storage a month for DVDs that we printed in bulk, but I highly, highly recommend this company called Kunaki. Okay, if you need your physical products, uh, physical DVDs printed. We used to work with this other company called Trepstar, which was a nightmare. Um, but Kunaki prints on demand, and they ship so cheap. Uh, you can get two DVDs shipped anywhere in the world. They charge the same for U.S. as they do for international. How cool is that? For like five bucks. Wow. So, uh, yeah, all our products are either digital or um, digital on a DVD. Um, A lot of chess players, they still like the collection or maybe they live somewhere where they don't have the bandwidth to download. You know, these videos are 15 hours, so they're a couple gigs, Mm -hmm. you know. So maybe if you're out, you know, somewhere in the middle of nowhere in Canada with a two-meg connection, it's pretty miserable to try to download it because it's going to keep failing halfway. So they might want the... Physical, and we have a little bit in his boards, clocks, sets. Uh, we almost never sell any of that. We have a few physical products, but 99.9% either digital or digital on a disc. How do you spell Kunaki, Freddie? Uh, that's uh, K-U-N-A-K-I. Okay, dot com? Yeah, and it's cool. You can integrate it into – we haven't done this yet, but you can, they have a, actually have an API where you can integrate it into Amazon or WooCommerce. Mm-hmm. So when someone buys on um, Amazon, it will just ship automatically or uh, on WooCommerce, it will ship automatically. And putting your digital products on a disk does have some other benefits as well. So it makes some customers happier or customers that don't have the, the bandwidth. But also it gives you a presence on eBay and Amazon that makes, you know, just a little couple extra grand and, and a little bit of exposure as well. You can't really sell on eBay. There's some kind of digital stuff you can sell extremely restricted. So basically, no. And Amazon is 100 percent no. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't sell digital. You can use some of their video system, but it's not a good match for us. So if you have your items in digital form. Um, physical disc opens the market for you for eBay and Amazon. It's just something to keep in mind because people mm. are think that there's no use left for disc. Right. And then if you and if you're and if you're in an Amazon SEO, that's cool because then you can just make products with discs, right? right? On on it. For your email marketing, I remember you said you were doing a new sale every five to seven days. Are you emailing your list daily? <laughs> So we've been emailing our entire list until we've finally been realizing that about 98% of our sales are from our customer list and that we seriously need to segment our funnel better and we're just um, just getting getting killed on our open rates. So we're thinking about switching it where um, it's only going to be for customers and then we're going to tone it way down on the main list. Um, but we're just going to stick to the e-blast, which is pretty much automated by our team. Like I give them feedback on the copy. We got two English copywriters, one Spanish copywriter, and then we're going to bring another copywriter on to write blog articles. Um, So a lot of writing going.
going on. You know, my dream is pretty much every e-commerce owner's dream is to get some funnel that, you know, automatically just converts. But, uh, you know, after setting up this thing called deadline funnel, which basically replicates our sales strategy, like time limited sale with the discount, but just per user after being 10 days on our list, it, uh, it didn't give us the results we were hoping for. Like the conversion was less than a 10 to 1% of all signups. So we got to go back to the drawing board and segment better and uh, maybe lower our initial offers of five or $10 thing. Like maybe we're just getting, getting too greedy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not too concerned. You know, we have our core, I don't know the data cause our analytics are so bad, but I know I'm pretty sure that, you know, 80% of our sales are coming from the same like hundred or 200, you know, evangelist customers that buy everything we put out. Mm-hmm. Freddie, at one, one point in time you said you knew almost everything there was to know about YouTube. And I'm curious if you, you still feel like you're up to date on what's happening with YouTube and if you could share some uh, marketing tips with, with, uh, yeah, you know, our YouTube has been flatlined on our English channel at about 500,000 views. Um, mm-hmm. I think I have a good idea of, of the mixture between, you know, YouTube SEO is quite easy for me at least to learn. Um, it's like 1990s SEO for web pages. <laughs> it's quite straightforward. Um, you know, getting a graphic designer to make some good thumbnails and, you know, making good content. One thing I need to work on is working better to get YouTube uh, into the email funnel. So we've been meaning to just go over our entire YouTube and just fix all the descriptions, all the links, um, and and get people uh, converting onto the site. So, yeah, you know, I think with YouTube, the most important thing when you start is to just keep putting out content just nonstop for a while, and it's going to take a long time to get um, momentum. But fortunately, if you have a website or any other traffic stores, you can use it to jumpstart your YouTube. But getting the first few thousand subscribers is quite difficult, as anyone can tell you. But the good thing is, unlike websites where your SEO might disappear overnight, once once you're in Google, I mean, once you're in YouTube and you're you're established, your channel's not going to drop if you keep putting out videos. So that's the most important part. And, uh, you know, it's the mixture. Make sure your thumbnails get hitting the right keywords, um, that it's clickbaity-ish, you know, wants to get people to click, that the thumbnail's good, and that most importantly that the content is good. So where do you think YouTube's heading with their um, subscriber pages and, and people putting businesses up to use it for marketing for their business? You know, my company is a good fit for YouTube. Uh, for other companies, that video isn't their main medium or, or what they're selling. It's a little bit more difficult, you know? Like, if you sell PPC services, I don't know what the hell you do on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess probably for those people, YouTube ads would be more effective. Like, you could do a, a one-minute commercial and specifically target um, videos that are related on, you know, improving your PPC, right? You can do stuff like that. People target our, our channel all the time. Um, as far as, you know, getting to where we are, where we're getting, you know, close to 700,000, 800,000 views a month or more, even millions a month, unless you're in some kind of e-learning or e-teaching uh, field, it's going to be kind of a crapshoot. You know, I don't know. I guess maybe in PPC you could make a, a channel talking about 
all your PPC, you know, secrets to try to build some leads. Um, I don't know. I mean, if, if, if what you're, if you can educate people on your field via video mm-hmm. then you can make a video YouTube channel on it. But one thing you can't do is you can't just put a bunch of advertisements up, up and think they're going to go viral. Right. You know, I, I don't, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think like what business I'm trying to think what business would be a bad example, um, for, for YouTube. Um, maybe if you sell physical, you know, um, one of these like Kickstarter things, like one of those that, you know, I'm trying to think like some kind of physical item. Like, I don't know, like a cool like backpack. Yeah. Like a backpack, like the Manal guys. Whoa. Like how many videos are you going to make? You, you can make it like Red Bull, like some lifestyle stuff, but I'm wondering how much that would actually really convert to mm-hmm. the bag. It's kind of like, how, what are you going to talk about bags for a hundred YouTube videos? Like your bags, we're not going to review other people's bags. Right. So I guess it depends on the field, but if what you're selling is video content, which is what essentially what we sell or courses, then yeah, you're, you definitely need to have a big YouTube presence for sure. And you guys don't use pop-up ads on YouTube, do you? Yeah, we try to use annotations, but that's what I was telling you. Our annotations right now are garbage for our main videos. They're just encouraging people to subscribe and, I want to get it focused more on getting people into our funnel and building more compelling offers to get people to actually click. Because yeah. right now our, our ads are on YouTube, our like annotations and descriptions are very intrusive and they don't give people a reason to click. And they're very hit you over the head, which kind of used to work, but times are changing compared to when we started six, seven years ago. You know, like the bashing over the head is always working less and less. <laughs> like people, like the light box, like four years ago was like genius. Like, oh, the light box, that's great. And like now people completely ignore the light box sign up unless it's well crafted so that's 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 a problem we're having was part of it with the like consumers are getting smarter and you know we need to keep up to make things more compelling and build a better user experience than just like hey get on our email list hey buy this you know obviously with time you know we need to stay ahead of the curve and and make things and build value faster than customers are demanding it because it's, it's just it's just going to get harder and harder to sell you get more competition and you know youtube itself has become a huge problem not problem for us but a competitor because when we started six seven years ago the videos on youtube were pretty low quality so if you wanted the primo stuff you had to pay and now tons of grandmasters are on youtube just doing their own free videos and things like that so not only are we competing with other companies doing what we're doing but we're also competing with youtube but that doesn't mean all hope is lost. You know, people are going to be the paying for video content right now, even with piracy, is like an exploding world right now. I mean, all all I think just in general, e-commerce is moving in a video direction. So are blogs. So is just media in general. Everything's video right now. So I'm not worried about video going outdated or, you know, having to change that as a business model because no matter how much stuff is on YouTube for free, if you put together something that's very high quality and you put energy and effort into it and it delivers better value to your customers than just some free video lecture, then there's someone's going to pay for it, right? Right. Have you guys measured the amount of traffic you guys get from YouTube and the sales that come from uh, for sales, it's maybe a few grand a month directly. 
mainly from previews where we're like, click here to buy this full product. Obviously, that works very well. They watch a 30-minute preview. If they like the 30-minute preview, the little buttons on the side of the video the entire time. And people and, and the videos, by the way, get 99% thumbs up because we're not like cutting it off uh, the lecture. You never want to do that on YouTube. Don't ever cut the lecture off in the middle and put like, oh, for more, sign up. People, mm. people really hate, hate that. Yeah. Give them a full lecture. Give them a full hour of the 15-hour course. Let them enjoy it. You'll make a little money on ads. You know, you'll get some free publicity. And um, yeah, from YouTube, it's not as high as it would be. You know, uh, we have the same problem a lot of e-commerce websites have, which is the what's called the attribution problem. You know, it, it says email, but where do they come from originally? That just means they clicked an email link. Mm -hmm. They originally come from YouTube. Where's the source? You know, it covers up. Email. Our analytics aren't good because it says 95% email, but. Those email addresses came from somewhere. They come from Facebook. Did they come from Facebook organic, Facebook ads, YouTube uh, organic? Did they come from word of mouth or referrals from a partner? I, we have no idea. <laughs> we only know the last touch point, not the first touch point. Right. So, and the last touch point has a tendency to be email. So, um, you know, I don't know for sure, but I do know, you know, seven seven hundred thousand views a month. That's you know, we got five hundred. Actually, probably more than that. Seven hundred. 500,000 on our English, 50,000 on our second English, and then about 250,000 on our Spanish, maybe 800,000, something like that. So people know us when you're getting you know, 15,000 views a day. We have at least a dozen videos or more, maybe closer to two dozen videos across our three channels that have gotten over 100,000 views. So mm -hmm. for a small niche like chess, that's big to have that many videos like that. But you know, people know who we are. Um, I don't know exactly what effect that has on sales. You know, I do know the majority of people on YouTube are not the same as our customers. They just enjoy the free videos, but one will always convert to the other. Freddie, I'm curious, man, what drives you in this business? Because I know your partner's the chess fanatic and, and you're not as much, but it seems like you're incredibly passionate about all of this stuff do you just love marketing and, and building businesses i don't know i mean it would be more fun to be in an industry that i'm actually have more you know i've read this in some blogs of like how to succeed it's like have you know being in, be in a niche where you have more in common with your customer i feel like i have nothing in common with my customer <laughs> um but you know I'm not just going to say like, oh, I read that cheesy blog article that says my my life and, you know, personal um, passions are not aligned with my million dollar business. I guess I got to drop this now and, you know, <laughs> go back to the drawing board. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of I'm knee deep into this now. And, you know, I'm only just turned 30. I'm not that old yet. You know, this is my first venture. Um, I do eventually hope to we can sell it for a few million bucks and move on to something else. But what I did realize is... When you're working online, what you do if you're running an e-commerce site that has a similar business model to mine is not that different. So say I was in the travel niche or the dating niche or um, what is it? Makeup tutorials uh, have a similar business model. Or makeup tutorials, right? Makeup tutorials and chess sound very different, right? Mm -hmm. But if you look at the makeup, and makeup tutorials is a big business too, right? They dominate YouTube. And some of these videos have 50 million views, right? Makeup tutorials, crazy, right? Right. Um, but it's a similar business model, right? You got the free videos on YouTube, you got the free makeup tutorials, and then that, that goes to a subscription site. It's, it's the same thing as the six-pack ad guys, the same same thing as us. What, what, what do they have all in common? We're all selling video content, right? Um, would my life be very different if I was working in the makeup tutorial team? You tell me. 
what would I be doing different? <laughs> different videos. Getting bigger companies, make different videos. Yeah, getting getting different other makeup tutorial, uh, you know, companies that are bigger than ours to sell our makeup tutorial videos and mm -hmm. courses, right? Uh, what else would we be doing? I would be on YouTube. I would have my SEO strategy. So there you go. Makeup tutorial on chess. It's the same stuff. So really what you actually have to be passionate about is what you're doing, which is the marketing, the sales, management, project management. And, you know, as, as, as you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, I've seen you grow a lot too. Like, you know, kind of three, four years ago, you know, when I kind of met you, you were still kind of finding your way. And I'm sure you've noticed that your role every year changes, right? Yeah. Maybe at first, you didn't have a graphic designer or developer or any of the stuff, you're doing the stuff yourself. Then you start outsourcing that and you start managing the people and then the people eventually get managed and it's more about, you know, hiring and, um, you know, being a project manager and then that evolves into something else. So your role is always, you know, evolving, but I do think it's relatively similar from e-commerce business from one or the other, mm -hmm. um, you know, of course, it's way cooler. Like uh, my buddy uh, Chad, I don't know if he's in the DC. Chad Kerrigan, he did. Did you see he uh, he got like a he he does these uh, sunglasses uh, that uh, it's like for every pair sold, they donate a pair to Africa. And then he got, you know, I don't keep up with celebrity stuff. One of, was it like Kendall Jenner or one of the Jenner or whatever has like 50 million Instagram followers to to shout out his stuff. Mm -hmm. So like you know. He's being like cool celebrities and stuff. And then, you know, Ben Ebert, he's sending a bunch of, you know, cool uh, like boxes of his stuff to like people like Tim Ferriss and making all these like connections with like well-known people in the mm -hmm. kind of location independent entrepreneur circuit. So, yeah, you know, it would be cool to be doing something a little cooler that fits my passions and getting to meet, you know, because it's like the people we work with, some of them, uh, a lot of them are actually chess players. A lot of them are the best employees we have found through our email list. And, and, you know, we'll take them to meet a famous grandmaster. They're like starstruck, right? They're like, holy crap, I'm hanging out with the number one player from Spain. That's so cool, right? Because right. they're chess enthusiasts. They play in tournaments, you know? So we're sending them out to film them. And they're like, wow, it's really cool, you know? I wish I was in a field like that where I'm meeting people. I'm like, wow, these people, you know, I meet a chess player. I'm like, cool, like you know, thank you for help. Like we're going to make lots of money together, of course, professional, but you know, they're not, I'm not passionate really about chess as, as a game. Right. So, you know, what you do is really cool too. It's much more in person. You know, I wish my business had a little more in person element and, you know, working with, with people like you do is, is really exciting too. You know, I'm sure it's grass is always green on the other side. You know, you got to deal with mm -hmm. a lot of, um, you know, you have a higher touch point, you know, for us as customers, customers are not the same as clients or people are going to live in a house for three months with you or work in a mastermind that you're setting up. So, yeah. you know, I am grateful, grateful for that. Uh, but, you know, I don't I don't mind things as, as they are. You know, I've actually been thinking about investing more as a, a passive investor in some other businesses that I see growing similar size of mine in the, uh, you know, mid six figure range. Yeah. Um, because that's where I think I'll be able to get the most ROI and start branching out a little bit beyond IHS. Um, but, uh, no, it doesn't really affect, you know, you know, like Dan and Ian doing the cat furniture. Who's passionate about cat furniture? <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, this is the myth versus the reality. You're one of the few people that actually, cause you, you were hanging out with entrepreneurs before you were kind of flushing everything together. So you were able yeah. to, align things better right with with who you are as a person and your passions and it's, it's a lot more fun right i mean you're getting paid to, to get big groups of six 
successful six, seven, eight figure business owners together, mm-hmm. you know, that's cool. You know, even if it's not making a lot of money at first or whatever. Um, whereas mine just kind of came organic accident. You know, I'm a backpacker. I'm schlepping it around from country to country. I'm I'm sniffing around and, and getting my first whiff of, of the, you know, location of Ben and Entrepreneurs at the time. Yeah. They didn't have they didn't have the word for that. They didn't have a word for digital gnome. It's funny how much how much things have changed in six years where I would tell people I'm working online in twenty eleven. People would be blown away. They're like, What? Like, how do you, <laughs> do you work anywhere? Now, I mean, six years later, people don't even bat an eye. Every neighborhood's got 20 co-working spaces. The world's changed yeah. uh, definitely a lot. So, you know, I didn't I didn't have the community you did that was already well-established at the time. It was just starting, you know, this whole scene's been forming, what, six, seven years? Yeah. You know, eight years maybe. So it just kind of happened by accident. This is what I rolled, rolled into. Everything else dropped off the map. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe my next business will align a little better, but I don't see it being as the major issue that I once thought that it was mm-hmm. once I joined the DC and I realized it really, if I woke up tomorrow doing, you know, workout videos, um, instead of chess videos or the makeup tutorials or, um, any, you know, preparing for an exam, uh, these, these, you know, uh, using video content from your premium videos, courses, you know, this is a, a it's it's a, a niche, and the chess is just a sub niche of that. But the business models are all similar. Yeah, and you know, it's completely okay to be passionate about just building a business. You don't have to be passionate about the, certainly about the product that you have in that business. It's a nice bonus if you do. It yeah. really makes it a lot more fun. Sometimes I feel the day to day drudge. I'm just like, oh, <laughs> you know, like. You know, I miss the old days where it's just like, oh, I got to fix this widget on the blog or I got to do this. Like now it's just so high level. Like, do we hire this person? Do we not hire this person? How the hell do I interview people? What? How the hell do I manage a project? How am I push things forward? It's all so much like higher level, you know, and you just like, oh, just kills your brain sometimes, you know, to, to be a little bit more aligned with like, oh, well, yeah, this stuff is hard, but, you know, I'm passionate about it. It would make, would make the day to day a little easier. So, yeah. you know, I'm glad compared to someone who took the corporate path i'm like way happier obviously yeah. but you know maybe i'd be a little 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 bit happier if i was you know getting to send boxes of of you know supplements to to tim ferris and and getting to you know interview people and, and podcasts whatever it might be you know maybe work in the travel niche um but i realize it's not really that big a deal um at all yeah well the thing about being an entrepreneur of what i realized is it's a constant growth of maturity and you have to really be comfortable being uncomfortable because once you get comfortable in the business that's when it dies and so you have to continually grow as an entrepreneur and that's the challenging part and we always go through these growth spurts where it's really difficult at sometimes but i think they're a necessary part to get us to the next level so eventually we get to the point where maybe we sell out or we have enough cash flow coming in. We don't have to work at all and we can just lay on a couch and watch That's Narcos or something. Yeah, I don't I want to say this too loud. My business partner downstairs, but, you know, if it weren't uh, for him, I, I might be getting probably more comfortable than I would be because, <laughs> you know. He keeps you motivated. <laughs> think things of it. Well, I mean, let's just say let's just say in Mexico you are living like an absolute king for $2,500 a month with the pest on the toilet right now. So, mm-hmm. you know, beyond what making that plus a little bit for savings, it's hard to stay 
motivated, but my business partner is more ambitious. You know, he wants to take it to, uh, you know, many multi-million dollar business from where we are now, you know, 10x this from, from where we are. And I think it's possible. So I'm along for the ride now. I'm, I'm, I'm already set on game. So we'll, we'll see where that's going to take us. You guys, you're living together now. No, 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 no. He's, he was in Costa Rica. That's, that's another reason I moved down here is I wanted to be close to him. He wanted okay. to be close to me so we can just fly. It's like a two and a half hour flight to so hop and a skip away, um, San Jose to Mexico City. So, and with the money we're making now, we can easily afford, you know, $250 round trip is a, a blip on our <laughs> income statement. So, mm-hmm. um, it works out perfect. You know, he gets to be with his wife in Costa Rica and we can fly back and forth. When we get together for a few days, um, you know, the synergy, uh, the most overused word ever, the synergy. But the synergy is real. Mm-hmm. Um, when we saw our best, best growth, our biggest growth this year, when I, I spent two and a half months in a city called Hako in Costa Rica, mm-hmm. which is the most boring city in Costa Rica. I don't even <laughs> want to tell you what it's known for, um, but let's just say I wasn't going out and partying at all. Like I was 100% focused on work. And he was coming over every day, and we were just at it seven days a week, just work, sleep, eat repeat just nonstop, you know, masterminding and, and kind of taking a step away from our business and strategizing a little more. And that, that's, that's when we saw some major growth this year. Um, I know you saw the graph in the DC. Yeah. That's a, that's a real graph of, of our business. You know, the revenue looks like just a straight line up, which last year was not like that at all. We went from 330 K to 430 K 2014 to 2015. But that doesn't tell the whole story. The profit was just just barely inching by, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, and uh, you know, after the web website, we, that's that's the hardest part. I think what really was tries you as an entrepreneur is you're going to make some huge mistakes that are going to crush your business. Yeah, and you're going to have some times where you're thinking to yourself, like, imagine you know, 2015, we're losing money three months in a row, and you're thinking to yourself, you know, those times try you very very hard because you see all these other people around you always the successful people are the ones making the most noise. Right. And you yeah. see this guy, you know, I'm not saying specific examples, whatever. Everybody feels this way. One thing at a marketing or an entrepreneurship conference is whether you're making a hundred thousand million or 10 million, like you'll just feel inadequate. Right. Yeah. But especially, especially, <laughs> you know, it's true. I'm not going to feed you any BS. It's true. That's how everybody's like, Oh, I'm so inspired. I'm so motivated. But nah, you're just, you're, you're just like, your ego is getting crushed seeing all these super intelligent people, uh, around you, but it especially hurts when you've been working on your business for three and a half years and people are calling you an expert Yeah, <laughs> and you're like expert <laughs> on what losing money. Like I've been losing money for three months. I've been working on this for four years. Right. <laughs> you right. know? Um, and I had to do that for nine months between, you know, 2014, we, we started having like three, four months where our profit was in the five figures, which was good at the time We're doing good. And then, you know, this website redesign, everything goes to shit and stayed in shit for nine months. Um, it's a very trying time for you as an entrepreneur. You really start doubting yourself. Um, but the important thing is to, to push through. I think that uh, you know, I don't want to get too cheesy inspirational, but you know that definitely when you start a business, the first two years you're not going to make any money, especially if you don't know what you're doing. And that's not the hardest part because you're saying to yourself, well, it's hard for most people uh, to think that I've been working 18 months and this business is making like $500. What the hell am I doing here? But the hardest part is going to be when you make some big, big strategic mistakes a few years on and your webs, your, you know, your income can just fall apart for a few months and, yeah. and it, it can be a slippery slope, but 
you know, when you when you get out of it, it, it feels all the better. So thankful, cool. thankful that uh, I'm out of that that rut <laughs> where I felt like a giant fraud for like a full year. Every entrepreneur feels like like a fraud. I don't know yeah. if this is for non entrepreneurs listening, but that's not always. Just some of the time, like thirty percent of the time, we feel like a fraud. Well, you had those insecurities <laughs> come up, and you know, you know, Russ Hughes too. He was saying on the podcast a very similar thing when he showed up at the entrepreneur house he was like i I was around and russ is a successful guy bottom line and he said i showed up at the entrepreneur house and and i felt like a fraud because here's all these successful entrepreneurs and you know i've just done this stuff online and selling some stuff on amazon and and he's made a lot of money for himself but he still didn't feel like he should be long even though he wanted to even though Russ was probably six, more successful than half the people there. So I think everybody experiences a bit of that. Freddie, when, yeah. you're, when you're down like that, what are some things, like when you're not down but just kind of getting in that, that rut, what are some things, I'm sure there's times when you're like, crap, you know, like we talked about, desk job sounds good right now or – you know, selling. No, I never. Said that. That sounds good. <laughs> okay, right now, okay, okay. Hell well, no. well, maybe. That stuff never sounds good, dude. I would, I would, I would see, I would translate from Spanish to English for like seven dollars an hour in Mexico City okay. before I went on it. Well, on a desk job. Well, maybe something, something, a, d- a different <laughs> business sounds good right now, right? But what are some yeah. things that keep you going during those those challenging times? I don't know, man. It's just what's 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 the alternative? You know, I feel like came too far to just give up so yeah you know just just reminding myself so when things are going good it's easy to you know take this is just human nature when things are going good you're going to attribute it to your own success and when things are going bad you're going to attribute it to you know external factors it's just natural right yeah Uh, for everything uh, for for business too, I think having an honest realization of myself that we were blaming it a lot on the currencies, which really did take a dive in 2014, 2015. You know, 70 percent of our sales are international, and then we have this year where the pound and euro go down 40 percent, and the Argentine and Mexican peso go down 70 percent, and and we were we were really fighting the tide with this currency stuff, right? We really had to reduce prices, especially on our, our Spanish site. That that was it. it, it it wasn't helping that these uh, tides were happening while our site was completely messed up. Mm-hmm. But what I needed to realize with yours, the first thing you have to realize is decide whether your your right is because of your own bad decisions or because of external factors. And most of the time you'll realize it has a lot more to do with your own decision than external factors. And mm-hmm. that's the first step of realizing that, well, if I did this wrong, then I can – I can fix this. It's not because the market is bad is because I made a mistake and that's why things are bad. And that does take a little bit of relief off you because if something's broken, then you realize you can fix it. If you broke something, you can fix it. Freddie, if you were going to title this podcast, what would you title it? Oh my it? God, man. We've been all over fire, fireside <laughs> chat. Can we really do fireside chat? No, no, no. We got to do something different than that. Maybe about why your niche. God, we just talked about so many different topics. <laughs> I know. That's why I asked you. <laughs> well, I'll find something shocking. Right. Freddie, buddy, I, we're pushing an hour here, so I think we're over an hour now. So, we're at an hour, 20 minutes, yeah. Yeah. For any listeners that want to get a hold of you or want to learn more about iChess, where can they do that at? Yeah, just uh, F-R-E-D-D-Y, Freddie at iChess.net, and uh, yeah, just shoot me a line. So – 
Man, I got to give you a big thank you for coming onto the show. I didn't have to contact Freddie. He actually reached out to me, which was really cool. He wanted to come on the podcast. And this was a really refreshing podcast for me. I like talking numbers, and you were completely open to talk numbers and to talk about your challenges that you really had and also the the fears and insecurities that you you have running a really highly successful business, but also at the same time, the challenges that are going behind the scenes. Yeah, especially people like you and me, Chris. We're like, we're like deep, deep into like, you know, the most successful entrepreneurs, which is a blessing. But at the same time, you know, I never felt that way. I thought it was really successful until I found the DC and, and, and started to realize, uh, well, the DC and, and some other similar entrepreneurship groups, you know, where you're surrounding yourself with people that are much more successful yeah that's that's i think where where the bite but it's good you know if, as long as it's a motivational drive and not one that's it's gonna you know send you down the road of feeling like you're competing because yeah. then you're just there's always gonna be someone higher right at the top so you know that's what i always joke about the the fudgy smudgy line between inspiration and intimidation yeah yeah thanks man i really appreciate you coming on the show thanks for being open and raw and and sharing your challenges and thank you listeners for tuning in for another episode and with that we're going to sign off see you later freddie and see you later listeners the entrepreneur house is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business day to day you interact with other driven and smart business people spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for those that are in the entrepreneur house, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year, we have three different events, a three-day productivity weekend in different cities all around the world, a two-week all-inclusive retreat for entrepreneurs with six-figure businesses. This will be full of workshops, masterminds, and adventure. Then a four-week event in Chiang Mai, Thailand for established entrepreneurs, also full of workshops, masterminds, advisors, and fun weekend social events. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. These events will fill up fast. For those of you that are interested in have some questions be sure to contact us through the entrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact we will respond as soon as possible for now saludos from somewhere in the world voice just got super deep sounds like a some kind of, all, right. all right that's just that's just weird when i'm wearing earbuds dude it's like it's like you're it's like you're giving me a digital wet willy why don't you why don't you save that for mario <laughs> there was two months we didn't make any profit we actually yeah. lost money it was like negative 5k and the next month was negative 7k and then uh the four or five months after that we were like barely turning a profit like it was the, the slimmest of margins maybe 
and and that's after like emailing nonstop, pulling all the stops. We were doing a couple grand each at most, mm-hmm. but just barely barely hanging on there. Mm-hmm. And then we had a good December, and then a terrible January and a terrible February. And March was a turning point where we worked out a deal with a much bigger company to sell our um, um, our Club Players Manifest, one of our flagship products, and they did like 50, 60 grand in sales in, in like 10 days, and they just kept running it, and it was really doing wow. good. And that happened to be also a turnaround month. So that month we went from like 7K profit <laughs> the month before to like 42K profit. That, that profit um, wasn't broken again. And until all the way until December of this year, we came close to 50. Wow. But, you know, but it's different because in December it was mostly our own money. That was like a one-time freak. But, yeah, we had, a, we had a couple of these, like, just freak payments from other people. You know, I really lost faith as an entrepreneur for a while. Like, I felt almost like a fraud. And it's like, dude, it's been like nine months. Been doing this for four and a half years at the time. Now it's like closer to six. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my shit's making two grand a month. 